click, pay, and download instantly. Welcome to the podcast. Rosa Royale is always invited to the neighborhood potluck and the backyard barbecue and Sunday dinner with the family. That's because Stella Rosa Royale has a bold, semi-sweet red berry flavor and more alcohol than other Stella Rosa wines that pairs well with any food. So grab a seat next to Stella Rosa Royale. Food's best friend, best served, chill. Celebrate. Stella Rosa. Celebrate responsibly. Tribe time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. One welcome to Tribe Talk presented by Progressive. Jim Rosenhouse along with you as we join you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Indians still on a homestand as they are hosting Boston this weekend. And they got off to a rough start on Friday night, a, a game where Logan Allen pitched extremely well for six innings. And then it was Alex Young for an inning with the Indians leading 3-1. to one. But unfortunately, James Karinchek allowed a three-run home run in the top half of the eighth inning. That turned the game for Boston, and the Red Sox win it. But the series continues through the weekend. A 4.05 first pitch on Saturday, and then a 1.10 first pitch on Sunday. So a lot of baseball left on this long homestand for the Tribe that started last weekend over uh, at Progressive Field against the Angels with a game over in Williamsport as part of the Little League Classic and then uh, Texas coming in. So a lot of baseball at home this week. In fact, one of the longest homestands of the season for the Tribe. Coming up a little bit later on in our show, we will hear from Indians outfielder Oscar Mercado, who has had a a good solid season, uh, still trying to find that consistency at the plate, and we'll talk to him about that. Also, Cal Quantrill, who's been one of the The really pleasant surprise is a breakthrough in the starting rotation for the Indians. Has had a tremendous month of August. We'll uh, hear from him as well. And Emmanuel Classe, Indians closer, will join us with some translation help as well from Augie Rivero. But it would be nice to check in with the, the tribe closer to hear his thoughts on that key role for the Indians at the end of games. And we'll conclude our show today with a look at the Indians minor league system with James Harris, the Indians vice president of player development. But first, a look at the week in review, and after the off day on Monday following that fun weekend and Sunday over in Williamsport for the Tribe, a three-game series sweep of the Angels. Uh, Indians looking to keep it going against Texas on Tuesday night. The Rangers coming in with one of the worst records in baseball, but they hung a 7-3 to loss on the Indians on Tuesday night. 
But the Tribe bounced right back on Wednesday with a solid effort in a 7-2 win over the Rangers. And they had the long ball working in this one, beginning with Oscar Mercado in the second inning. Here's the wind and the 2-0 pitch. Swung in and ripped to deep left. There she goes. Gone to the bleachers. Halfway up the bleachers and left. Oscar Mercado has his third home run. And Jake Lance has given up his first major league hit. Two more bombs for the Tribe in the fifth inning. First, Yu Chang. Here's the 1-2 pitch. Swung on, and there's a high fly ball to right. This is it well. It's deep down the line, and that ball is a home run. Peters went right to the wall, and he leaped at the wall, but Chang hit it just far enough to get on out of here, and the Indians now lead it 2-0. And then Austin Hedges. The 1-2 is blasted deep left field down the line, and it is a fair ball home run. Austin Hedges. 3-0 Tribe. Hedges with number six. And three solo home runs off the rookie, Jake Latz, has given the Indians a 3-0 lead. Texas cut the lead with a two-run sixth inning, but the Indians responded in the bottom of the sixth. Once again, Yu Chang coming through. The pitch swung on a little floater to right. This is trouble near the line. It gets down, base hit. Diving attempt by Peters, can't make the catch. Ball gets by him. Into second is Chang with a double. Mercado in to score. And the Indians now lead it 4-2. to two. Owen Miller drove in Chang to make it a 5-2 lead for the Tribe. And then in the seventh, Fran Mill Reyes did it again. Reyes sends one high, deep to left. It is gone. And the Indians have their fourth solo home run tonight. Reyes has number 23. And the Indians have a 6-2 lead. The Tribe added one more in the eighth to make it a 7-2 lead. And then in the ninth, Emmanuel Classe was on to finish things up. From the set, Classe in the high hold lets it fly. And it's swung on line to second. Caught by Miller. Ball game. So the Indians even the series. They go deep four different times on solo homers. They get really good pitching from Zach Plesak and the bullpen. And they bounce the Texas Rangers tonight. The final, Cleveland 7 and Texas 2. So the Indians had squared the series with the Rangers at one win apiece heading into Thursday night's rubber match of the series. And it turned out another high-scoring ball game for the Tribe. Miles Straw led things off in the bottom half of the first inning and with one swing put the Indians in front. Lyles kicks, fires, and the pitch swung on, hammered to right. Down the line it goes toward the corner. Gone! Miles Straw shoots it down the right field line for his fourth home run. The Indians had four solos last night. And Miles Straw starts tonight with a blast down that right field line to put the Indians on top, one to nothing. First leadoff home run for Straw in his major league career, 
And that was the seventh for the Indians. Most of those from the departed second baseman, Cesar Hernandez, and also Bradley Zimmer with a leadoff home run as well for the Indians this season. But Straw got it done on Thursday night against the Rangers. Now, still in the first inning, after Jose Ramirez walked and stole second, Fran Mill Reyes delivered. Swung on, drilled to left. That's a base hit near the line. That's going to score Ramirez. Ball goes all the way to the wall. And Fran Mill Reyes is in standing at second. And the Indians now lead it 2 to nothing. So a one-out double near the line and left for Fran Mill Reyes. His 13th double, his 63rd RBI. And the Indians wasting no time in their first-ever encounter with Jordan Lyles. And then Bradley Zimmer capped off that big first inning in a big way. Here's the 2-1. Swung on and hammered. High, deep to right, away, back, way out of here. Bradley Zimmer makes it 4-0 Indians. A moonshot to right, and it's still daylight. Wow, was that another prodigious blast. And Bradley Zimmer with this resurgence of power over the last month has made it a 4-0 Indians ball game. And we're only in inning number one. Jordan Lyles has given up two bombs this inning. Now 33 on the year. And that ball bounced out of the mezzanine deck in right it looked like oh my goodness my zimmer now with the two longest home runs that the indians have hit this season 471 feet and then that 465 foot blast on thursday night against texas now the rangers battled back they tied the game at four but in the bottom half of the fourth inning the bottom of the order had it rolling for the Tribe as Andres Jimenez put the Indians back in front. Now the 1-2. Swung on, grounded, first base side, fair ball, down the line it goes. Johnson will score. Headed for third is Hedges. He'll be held up right there. And into second base with an RBI double, Andres Jimenez. He has put the Tribe back in front. It's now the Indians 5, the Rangers 4. Later in the fourth, Ahmed Rosario's sack fly made it 6-4, to four, and then Jose Ramirez kept it going. Lyles slowing it down a little bit here in the fourth. Here's his payoff pitch. Swung on line. Base hit right field. Just passed a diving second baseman, Nick Solak. Cattle plate Jimenez from third base, and Jose Ramirez comes through with a two-out RBI single. The Indians now lead it 7-4. to four. As Ramirez has driven in his 80th run on the season. Next up, Fran Mill Reyes. Here comes the payoff pitch. Swung on, and that's looped to shallow left, and it falls in for a base hit. Rounding third and scoring is Ramirez on the bloop single off the bat of Reyes. And it's a four-run inning for the Tribe. They now lead it 8-4. to four. Then in the fifth, Owen Miller showed some power. Here's the 0-2. Swung on, and there's a high fly ball. This one's hit to deep left. Looking up, and he won't get it. Peters looked up to the 19-foot high wall, but that's a home run for Owen Miller. Another one leaves the ballpark, and the Indians now lead it 9-4.
Trevor Steffen did a nice job out of the pen and was in line for the win with Emmanuel Classe on to finish things up. Here's the 2-2 pitch. Check swing, strike three, ball game. The Indians win the rubber match as everybody had a base hit. Eight Indians scored, seven Indians drove in a run, and the Indians bounced the Texas Rangers 10-6. So the Indians with a 10-6 win over the Rangers, they take the series, welcomed in Boston on Friday night, that tough 4-3 loss to the Red Sox to start the weekend series. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll hear from Indians outfielder Oscar Mercado. That's after this on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Progressive's Home and Auto Bundle Extrava Festa Saifathon, the annual year-long event for saving big on home and auto insurance. These savings are available up until and straight through Labor Day, Halloween, Clover Cleveland's birthday, Taco Tuesday, the anniversary of the moon landing, White Chocolate Day. The sale literally never ends. You can come on Jupiter's Ascension, National Pisces Day, but not Leap Day. <laughs> Just kidding. We're doing Leap Day because every day is perfect for saving money with a home and auto bundle only at Progressive. But for real, we're not doing White Chocolate Day because White Chocolate is gross. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome back to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland, where the Indians are taking on the Red Sox this weekend. Oscar Mercado was in the lineup on Friday night, and he's been in the lineup quite a bit here as uh, the Indians take a good long look at Mercado, Bradley Zimmers, some of the other young players. And Mercado's looking for that bounce-back season this year. You may remember he he burst on the scene in 2019 for the Indians and had a really strong rookie campaign. Hit 269 that year with 15 home runs and 54 runs driven in. Also stole 15 bases and made quite a few uh, outstanding plays in the outfield, mainly as a center fielder for the Indians. But it just never clicked for him a year ago. He had a, a late injury in spring training before the COVID shutdown. And then when it came time to fire things back up for that shortened season a year ago, he really struggled at the plate. Uh, only 11 for 86 at the plate. That's a 128 average. So um, the wheels came off a little bit for him last year as he tried to make some adjustments. Had a good spring this spring. Did not start the season with the big club, but now he's been up for a while and has made some good progress. Had a big home run against Texas earlier in the week, and we had a chance to catch up with him. And he talked about trying to take advantage of some playing time down the stretch. It's been fun, uh, you know, playing with, you know, all the guys, all the guys uh, we came up with and just being able to um, go out there and compete together. Um, we're all getting the opportunity to go out there and and enjoy enjoy the game and just be a part of something, you know, special. We got a young team and um, – we're all trying to make a statement and prove that we belong here. So it's, uh, but we all have each other's backs as well. So, you know, bringing the best out of each other. And it's just, it's been a good time. You mentioned that. How different is it from, so say, your first two years in, in the organization where you had a chance to play in the major leagues? Um, well, you know, in the first, first year and last year, everyone, you know, we had uh, our team, you know, Lindor, Santana, uh, you know, Kip was there and um, everyone else. And then this year, we get off to that really good start. And, you know, injuries kind of de derailed us a little bit. But 
I still think that, like, in all, you know, watching the games and just being a part of it and just seeing how well everyone's been able to compete um, and how well everyone's been able to just go out there and hold their own. And, you know, we're winning games. You know, we're we're competing in every game. And, you know, it's been it's been fun to watch and be a part of. And you look at that, a team hanging right around that 500 mark. There are other teams that are in, quote, rebuilds that, that are really having a tough time. But when you look at the Indians, it seems like more a reload than a, than a rebuild. And is that how you guys look at it, where you're a few subtle adjustments here and you can be right back in the thick of things? Yeah, we don't we don't really consider it a rebuild. We know we the group of guys we got, we can go out there and compete every game. And that's what we've, we've done exactly that. You know, all of us have gone out there and just uh, – you know, competed our, our butts off and, you know, put together good at-bats, played good defense, good base running, played good baseball. And, you know, I feel like a couple a couple wins here and there um, in a row and putting together a good streak, and it, it'll just show. I mean, you, like you said, there's other teams that are, you know, letting their young guys play as well, but, you know, struggling. And, you know, for us to be able to uh, still be winning ball games and um, staying afloat is uh, is pretty special. Oscar, I think every player would love to have that nice, even, you know, path where where you just continue to get better and have more success. But it, it's more common to see a player have to go through some struggles. And, and for you, how, do, how does that make you better in the long run, some of the challenges that you've had to try and, and establish yourself here? It happens to everyone at the big league level. Um, you know, this is a league where people are constantly making adjustments. And, you know, everyone here is just so talented. So um, it's about just you know always trying to be better and get better and become a better player and um improving improving every every week every month every year and um you know that's my goal as a player my goal as a player is to do something to help the team win every single game and uh whether it's running the bases or playing good defense or you know getting a clutch hit and um that that's i'm perfectly fine with that and you look at the work it takes to be successful you were out here today uh, early working with the other outfielders and, and how important can that be even at this time of year when they call it the dog days and all that kind of stuff but uh, you're out there working yeah for sure um we're still you know the season's not over uh we still got a month and some change left and we know that we still got to go out there and compete every single game and uh nothing changes whether it's uh the beginning of the season or the middle or the back the back end of the season we still got to put in the work yeah, Oscar, nice going last night. Thanks a lot for coming by. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's Indians outfielder Oscar Mercado, who's uh, put to ball game, still trying to find that consistency, but certainly making some progress as he looks to get back to that form that he flashed as a rookie back in 2019. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll switch gears, talk pitching with starting pitcher Cal Quantrill and reliever Emmanuel Classe. That's next as Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive, continues on the Cleveland Clinic Indians. Radio Network. Stella Rosa Royale is always invited to the neighborhood potluck and the backyard barbecue and Sunday dinner with the family. That's because Stella Rosa Royale has a bold, semi-sweet red berry flavor and more alcohol than other Stella Rosa wines that pairs well with any food. So grab a seat next to Stella Rosa Royale. Food's best friend, best served, chill. Celebrate. Stella Rosa. Celebrate responsibly.
Here's the 0-2. Waved at and missed strike three. Ball dropped, or was it? Iglesias bolts down to first, but the home plate umpire, Dan Bellino, says, hey, you're out anyway. That was not a drop third strike. So that's it. Seventh inning done. Stretch time in Williamsport as Quantrill continues to roll with nine strikeouts. And he has now set down 13 straight. Here's the 1-1 pitch. A swing and a jam job by the mound. Behind second, he meant uh, Rosario Club. So one-hop throw to first and a good pick by Owen Miller. And for Cal Quantrill, it's a 10-pitch inning. And he's only at 83 pitches through six innings. And now he's consistently giving you seven innings to start. It's a 2-0 Tribe lead in the middle of the sixth. Welcome back to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field, downtown Cleveland. And always a, a lot of great ways to pick up our show each week. You can do so on the Cleveland Clinic Indians radio network, an affiliate near you. A lot of them pick up the show each week. Usually it runs on Saturdays uh, in and around the ball game that the Indians are playing that week, uh, usually a little bit before that week's game. But also you can listen to the show as a podcast wherever you download your favorite podcast or check in on Indians.com. All the archived editions are right there for you as well. Cal Quantrill has been a revelation in the Indian starting rotation after beginning the year in the bullpen with a start here and there. He's kind of that, that swing man, but once he's moved into the rotation on a full-time basis, man, has he figured it out, and he's been one of the best pitchers in all of baseball in the month of August. He threw three, excuse me, seven shakes against the Angels in the Little League Classic on Sunday night, just another Good start in the month of August as he continues to get better and better. And when we caught up with Cal earlier this week, he talked about working that routine of a starting pitcher every five days instead of moving back and forth between the pen and the rotation and some of those benefits that he has gained from a solid role now. Yeah, I do think um, part of being a good teammate and a good pitcher is you should be able to perform in any role that you're given. That being said, I think it's it's tough to kind of reach your total potential if you're bouncing around all the time. Um, I think you see it in bullpens with, when there's not clear you know uh, clear roles. I think that starters too. I think you've even seen it in our team with some of the other pitchers. Given four or five chances in a row, it's it's a, it's a pretty amazing the kind of strides you can make. And for me, I don't think it's any different. I'm getting a chance to throw 100 pitches every fifth day, and the things that we're working on are, are improving each start, and and the results are kind of following along. How different is the preparation to doing what you're doing now compared to what you were doing before, and, and what did you have to learn about that to get to this place? Yeah, they both just require a, a different, a slightly different approach. I, at first, I really did want to take the same approach and just make myself a starter. I think that some of that, uh, the, the randomness that you get used to and you thrive with in the bullpen, does, it gets eliminated as a starter, and and not taking advantage of that was probably silly of me. Like not, not taking advantage of the fact that we can have a very set routine that prepares your body to be, you know, as good as it can possibly be on that on your start day, is an advantage that you should that we should we should be using. So, for me, it's been you know take the greatest things we learn from the bullpen, how to attack hitters, some of the different pitches and in, in increased value of pitches that we've seen, but then you know let's add a real starters routine like we had before and see if that mix doesn't create what we wanted. And I think it did. So pitch mix-wise, it seems like you've become more varied and, and 
What's the biggest difference pitch mix-wise that, that you're seeing have a real good positive effect? I think if you ask anybody, it's just you have to feel confident in all your pitches to throw all your pitches. Um, you know, you, you, there's not very many guys in the league who throw 25% of each pitch who don't love all four pitches. So I think you need to get to a point where it's not just like, oh, this is my third or fourth best option, but it's something that you want to go to. And when the situation dictates that you're excited to throw, and I think that that's where we've gotten is that I've got four or five pitches on any given day that I want to throw, and we're looking for opportunities to throw them, whereas before maybe it was if there's any indecision, let's just fall back to the pitch that I love the most, and that can create some trouble. Cal Quantrill joining us, coming off seven scoreless innings over in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. I think everybody had a different impression of that experience. What was it like for you being in the home of, of the Little League World Series and, and pitching in that venue in, in a very unique circumstance? Yeah, I think the people at Williamsport did a fantastic job. They really did. I think that both our staff who showed up early to set it up and, and the staff they had there took it seriously. It was very professional. Um, we enjoyed our time there. And then in terms of just being able to hang out with the kids and have like put on a show for, for an audience that I think we all agree is probably the most, audi- most fun audience to play in front of, was just overall made for a great experience. Obviously, you have to lock it in. After the game, were you able to mingle with the kids at all, or was there just too much going on? Well, it looked like it was it must have been bedtime. They were all filing out in the in the ninth inning. But I got to say hello to some of the representatives uh, before the game, before they went out and uh, they did the anthem, and said hello to some of the kids after. And I think uh, my teammates did a did a fantastic job for me at the uh, at the actual little league complex before and then during the game. And you look at those kids, and I'm sure they're playing other sports, and, and you look back to your youth, and you were not just solely focused on baseball. You may have lettered in more different sports in high school than anybody in that clubhouse. Uh, tell us about some of the, the unusual sports that we're used to that, that you lettered in and, and had fun with. Yeah, I just kind of how it worked. I, I preferred hockey for a long time. When baseball became a little more prominent, hockey was a little physical to continue doing at the highest level at you know my second couple years of school, so... I figured I'd try different, some other sports. I played volleyball and squash, and I think I, well, I might have made a basketball team earlier, but I ended up quitting basketball. I tried them all. I, I think it's important. Um, it's In a lot of ways, it's too bad that we've gotten to the point where if you're not specializing early, you're falling behind because I think that given the opportunity to play multiple sports is both good for your personal athletic growth but also just finding out what you actually like. I, uh, I felt much more confident kind of like pursuing baseball at the highest level, knowing that I had really tried <laughs> pretty much what we had to offer. Well, it has worked out down the road for sure. Cal, thanks a lot for coming by. appreciate it. All right, thank you. That's Cal Quantrill, Indian starting pitcher, and he has been just terrific. And in the games where he pitches deep in the games, leaves with a lead, well, he knows that he can turn things over to Emmanuel Classe to close things out. Classe has been the Indians' closer now pretty much since the All-Star break as uh, he has taken over that role that he was sharing with James Karinchak pre-All-Star break. And when we had a chance to visit with Class A, translation help from Augie Rivero, Emmanuel talked about the keys to having a, a really good stretch since the All-Star break. Uh, primeramente... Yeah, thank God is, you know, thank, first of all, thank God for this opportunity to be, you know, playing and doing what I do. And I think after the All-Star game, you know, the fact that I wasn't called is kind of like a motivation to, you know, keep doing my thing and keep executing pitch by pitch, day by day, and thankfully it has come my way. Hey, obviously you're known for throwing hard, 100 miles an hour consistently with the cutter, but how has the slider and the way you use the slider, how has that helped you really become a dominant closer now? 
Yeah, I think it has complemented my fastball, right? My fast pitch, being able to combine the slider whenever I, I notice that they're expecting that fastball, or even when I see it on the slider, that I can manipulate that slider, it has helped me to get better results. And it seems like the increased usage came shortly after allowing a game-winning home run in, in Oakland, and it's been perfect since then. While that's hard to have that happen, is it sometimes a the best way to learn when, when maybe you don't have success and it allows you to make some changes? Yeah, I think not only the situation that happened, but after that happened, I had recognized it was myself not executing that pitch the best way I could. But after that, I, I continue, you know, betting on me, being positive with myself and trying to do the best in every pitch. So that's what I did after that pitch. Closing games, I feel like in spring training you mentioned you want to be the closer. That's something you really felt strongly about. Uh, why is that, and, and what is it about that role that, that really gets you going? Yeah, I think the, the, what I really like is the competitiveness of it. You know, you know when you're pitching there, it's a high-level situation, and normally you face a better hitter. So I like to face the better hitters and get that uh, leverage and help my team. And you're part of a, a really good bullpen. How much do the other uh, pitchers in that pen help you do your job? Yeah, I mean, it's a very competitive group, but at the same time, it's a very supportive. You know, we all want to give our best. We want to do the best we can out there, and we're helping each other in the good times and all the good times. So I think it's a very good group of, of guys and very competitive. And you made some nice strides here with the Indians, but you grew up in baseball with Texas, and you get to face them this week. What about Texas help? the foundation for you and, and really set you on a good path so that when you got here you were able to take those next steps. Yeah, I gotta thank them first for giving me the opportunity to come to the majors. You know, I think there was a great coaching staff and managers and coaches that helped me and taught me a lot of things. But also I'm really excited to be pitching against them so I can, you know, keep showing what I do and what I learned to pitch uh, today. Manuel, thanks a lot for coming by. I appreciate it. Thank you. Boy, what a luxury for the Indians to have a closer like Classe at the age of just 23. And uh, really, this is first full Major League season, and he has taken on a prominent role in a big way for the Indians and uh, gives them some certainty at the end of games, at least in the ninth inning. And uh, he has done that job very well. Stay tuned. When we come back, we'll get an update on the Indians' minor league system from Vice President of Player Development, James Harris. That's next as we continue with Tribe Talk presented by Progressive on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Now the 2-2. Strike three called 101 mile an hour cutter on the inner part of the plate. That's 11 strikeouts for Indians pitching. That is number two for Emmanuel Classe. this season I actually had little business cards made Eric Rubino fantasy baseball GM you can keep that sure the players are famous but come game day I decide their fate what's that oh you make 20 million well I don't like your attitude you benched now I'd never bench an all-star but I could that's also why I like progressives name your price tool with options based on my budget they never throw me a curveball <laughs> that's a little baseball reference for you get options based on your budget with progressive even if you're not a legend in your own mind Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
bunch of cheering year after year. Who's got the ballpark? The best is all right here. Who's got the fans with so much Cleveland pride? Who's talking baseball? Talking tribe. We're talking baseball. House back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland, our final segment on this week's show. And as always, we like to catch up from time to time with Indians Vice President of Player Development, James Harris, and get an idea of what's going on in the Indians minor league system. And uh, James was following the Lynchburg Ball Club. That's the low A entry for the Indians in their minor league system, the, the lowest of the full season clubs. And we caught up with James as uh, Lynchburg was on the road in Kannapolis, North Carolina, taking on a White Sox farm team. And he says there's been a lot of player movement due to some of the Indians' injuries. Believe it or not, it trickles all the way down to the lower levels. But uh, he says it's uh, really a good thing this time of year for a lot of players to be on the move and showing some progress as they work their way up the Indians' minor league ladder. Yeah, it's great. Um, Players, especially with the year off last year, we didn't really have a good understanding of where they were. We played a little bit in spring training, but it's basically just an educated guess of where we place them during the year. And then as they play, their play will tell us where they need to go, whether it be a performance standpoint or understanding the game. And we'll talk a, a little bit about some of the players who are moving through the system, but some that have joined the Lynchburg Ball Club, and they come over from the summer league team in Arizona, some really young players. Let's start with a second-generation potential major leaguer in Milan Tolentino, um, an infielder. What are you seeing from him, and what allowed him to make that move to a full-season club? Yeah, He's been around the game his entire life, so he understands the work that needs to be put in, where he needs to put his attention, and then you can see that in his advanced play on the field. It's awesome to get out of Arizona, put him into the Carolina, Carolina League where he's riding buses and doesn't have the great facilities that he had in Arizona and, and be able to see if he can continue that development. Another player in Lynchburg who is a former high draft pick, P.D. Halpin, an outfielder. And uh, you mentioned earlier, obviously, but all these guys have a, a certain level in terms of tools. But playing the game, what what has Halpin learned this summer about actually playing the game and, and the all the things that go along with being a, a really good professional ball player? Yeah, typically when you you take a player who's picked where Petey was picked, like the, the physical abilities and skill are are usually advanced. It's the ability to understand the game, understand the strategies, understand the situations, understand decision making that can help him take his game to the next level. And Petey's really been digging in with the staff, especially with the manager, Dennis Malvey, talking through situations of, like, what should he do with two outs and, and different situations with runners on base and, and taking pitches. And, and there's just so many aspects of the game that they just haven't experienced because they haven't played a ton um, that have been great for him to, to learn as he's working through his first full season. Two players who've gone from Lynchburg up to Lake County, which is now the high A for the Indians, infielder Christian Cairo and then Jonathan Rodriguez, an outfielder. Uh, what have they done to, to make that next step? And how much of a step is it going from, from low A to high A? So there, it, it is a step. It might not be as big as it, it was in the past since we've had a year off, but both of those guys have, have worked their tails off, um, have been in, on a competitive club in, in Lynchburg and helped that team win, and now they're going to try to do the same in Lake County. Um, as you start to go up, the um, pitchers, pitchers can locate a little bit better. There's a little bit more information. They know you as a hitter. Um, so it's going to be some advanced 
uh, development for those guys, but I think they're ready for the challenge. Moving along throughout the system, and George Valera, a name that, that we've seen at spring training, get some time in major league games, and he's made the jump to Double A Akron. And, and what type of season has he had that's allowed him to make that jump? Well, George is an exciting player, and he's a name that if you haven't heard already, you'll definitely be hearing more of in, in the future. Uh, he's a guy who can play all three in the outfield. The bat has really come alive. He's growing in, into some power. He's he's gotten healthy after having a, a small injury setback. Um, we're really excited about George's development and and excited that he's putting that together with with basically physically maturing on and off the field and um, definitely excited about his development. And another player who has moved and and we talked about him earlier in the summer. Uh, he got hurt, but now he's back. John Kenzie Noel. Uh, he's made that move from Lynchburg to Lake County. What are you seeing there from him as his season moves along? Well, first thing you see when you walk into the park, you're like, wow, this guy looks like a major leaguer today. Um, he's, he's a big physical presence on the field, plays, plays first base, third base, can even play a little bit in, in the outfield, hits the ball extremely hard. Uh, there was a, a day the other day where Fran Mill Reyes hit a ball, I think it was 465 feet, um, but yet Noel hit a ball 485 feet and 495 feet. So he, he hits the ball extremely hard, um, but yet um, has been controlling the zone. And we'll finish with a, with a story that, that really, I think, speaks to patience and perseverance, but Will Benson has finally reached the AAA level. And uh, the former top-round draft pick, uh, he's had his ups and downs, but he keeps plugging away. And, and what are you seeing that's allowed him to get to Columbus and show what he can do at that AAA level? Well, everyone develops at, the, at, at, their, own le- at their own rate, and Will's no exception. Uh, he's, he works extremely hard. He's a great teammate. Um, but one thing that he, he's done, he's made more consistent contact this year. Um, he's always hit the ball hard. He doesn't strike out a ton, and he walks quite a bit more than average for a guy with his profile. So he's put together a pretty good uh, profile to see what he can do in, in AAA and see if he can help our major league team in the future. Well, James, I appreciate the update as uh, the season uh, starts to wind down a little bit. I know in, in some cases it'll run a little bit longer, but uh, as always, we appreciate the time. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. That's Indians Vice President of Player Development, James Harris, and that's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Great to have you with us this week. As always, thanks to Brian Motze for his help in putting together our show every week. We will join you next weekend from Fenway Park in Boston. That's where the Indians will be taking on the Boston Red Sox in a three-game series as part of a six-game road swing for the Tribe. That starts on Tuesday in Kansas City. So until then... This is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk presented by Progressive on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Rosa Royale is always invited to the neighborhood potluck and the backyard barbecue and Sunday dinner with the family. 
That's because Stella Rosa Royale has a bold, semi-sweet red berry flavor and more alcohol than other Stella Rosa wines that pairs well with any food. So grab a seat next to Stella Rosa Royale. Food's best friend, best served, chill. Celebrate, Stella Rosa. Celebrate responsibly. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Do you have the right solution to know what your competitors are paying for talent? With over 70 million jobs to be filled this year, you need better than lagged crowdsourced data to understand today's compensation demands. Discover Labor IQ by ThinkY, the leading technology for current market-driven salary and hourly pay rates for over 20,000 jobs across the U.S. Schedule your free demo at thinkwhy.com slash laboriq. Somebody ought to come along and let you down So you could see my side and how it feels to hit the ground How can you say that nothing's different, that we should pick up the pieces Somebody ought to come along and let you down Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Life Well Lived by Amabila Stephen. It's an engaging and enlightening talk show on life, relationships, and the business of life. Grab a cup of juice and just chill. Life Well Lived by Amabila Stephen. Live life. Live fully. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode. We really appreciate you joining us. This podcast really shows us how we can all learn, live, and thrive off of each other. By sharing our knowledge through our conversations, we will impart some knowledge whilst learning ourselves how to progress even further. Here is your host. Now, if you want to catch up with any of my missed episodes, simply go online and search for Live Well Lived by Mobile TV on any podcast distribution platforms. And there you go. Do have an amazing and worthwhile time listening to this show. Today on this show, I like to focus on a topic that's close to my heart, right? How a person can tap into their greatness, right? And I have an amazing guest on the show today who's going to shred the topic to pieces. I have Robert Riopel, who's an international bestseller, right? Um, bestseller author and app designer, interviewer, and I train on the show with me today. So welcome. Oh, I am feeling so blessed to be here, Omobola, and I am ready to just have fun and help your audience. So I'm ready. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm ready also. You know what, Robot? I'm liking your energy already, right? So let's keep it moving. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, because even before you hit record, you and I are already having fun and already laughing. And that's what life is about. Because one of the things, especially in success, success can be stressful. So if you can't have fun while you're having success, why are you having success? Because if you're stressed, that's not really living. But if you can be enjoying life and being happy and having success at the same time, that's really leading your life. That's having a life well-lived and led. I love it. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Now, Robert, so what are some of the clues, right, about sources that you love to share with my audience? Oh, you know, some of the simple ones, it's on the topic we were just talking about. One of my clues that I love to give people is choose to be happy. And that was something I learned on my first trip to India a number of years ago. You know, I I land, I do a three-day training, I'm getting to see India, and I want to do some shopping before I come home, bring some things home for my wife. And so my partners, he says, well, I have my driver drive you around, and one of my staff members, she'll make sure she takes you to places you want to go to find what you need. And I love to meet people. And so when I meet people, one of the first things I like to ask is, what do you do for a living? Well, I knew she worked with my partner. So I said, what do you do with the company? She goes, well, right now I'm in sales. And I said, excellent. My second question is always, do you enjoy doing what you do? And you'd be amazed, Omobola, how many people say no, say they don't. But her answer was one I'd never heard before. She said, right now I do. And that kind of caught me as odd. Because if they say no, my third question will be, well, why do you do it? And the most common answers I get are I'm good at it or I make a lot of money. And here's my response to that. (laughs) Wrong answer. If you're doing something just because you're good at it or you make money, but you hate it, that's not living. So when she said, right now I do, I looked at her and said, what do you mean right now you do? She said, well, I'm getting married next year and I'll probably then be more stay at home and stuff like that. Now, I was a little clueless on this. I wasn't thinking, and, you know, the culture I'm in and that, and I asked her, I said, where did you meet your fiance? And her answer was, I haven't met him yet. We'll meet for the first time at our engagement party. And so I hadn't even considered arranged marriages. And so I apologized for sounding ignorant and not understanding. And, and she thought, oh, it's no problem. And I said, well, I'm a really curious person. Can I ask you some questions about that? She says, sure. I said, how does that work? You know, you, you've never met, and now all of a sudden you meet at an engagement party for the first time, and the second time you meet is at your wedding. How do you not get stressed, or what kind of stress comes into that? How would you handle that? And she says, well, I follow what my mother taught me. My mother taught me that no matter what you're doing in life, choose to be happy. Because at least if you're choosing to be happy, you go within, into it with that energy. She goes, in India, we have arranged marriages, and we have love marriages. And I said, do arranged marriages turn into love? She goes, some do, some don't. She says, but if you come in all stressed and angst and oh, it's going to have a hard time. She says, but I'm going to go in and I choose to be happy. And I'm going to be happy in that marriage. I'm going to be happy in my life. And I, I thought that was brilliant. So that's one of my clues that I give people in life. Choose to be happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, tell me about the four currencies of life, right? Um, which in particular uh, we like to relate to it. Well, yeah, you know, in the four currencies of life, the first one is what a lot of people think about, the currency of money. And what a lot of people and what my research has shown is that there's something, if you have too much money in your life, it's called affluenza. If you have too little money, it's called poverty. 
and everybody has a zone that they are in. And so when you're getting below the poverty line, you feel stressed out. Oh my God, what am I going to do? I can't afford it. I'm going to go bankrupt, whatever it is. But if you're in the affluenza level, people start doing silly things with their money or they invest without even doing their due diligence and wonder why they lose their money. And so it's understanding where is your currency flow? Everybody's is different and yours will grow with you. So as an example, I used to be a Domino's pizza franchisee for nine years and my poverty level was about 40,000 a year. If my wife and I were making less than $40,000 a year, I was financially stressed beyond belief. My affluenza level was about 100,000. Anytime I'd get above 100,000, I'd start spending money without thinking about it, buying things I didn't need, and I would go you know, and I'd lose a lot of money. And so that was my level, 40 to 100. Today, because I'm a different person and I've learned a lot more and I tend to make a lot more money, my affluenza level now is about, or my um, poverty level is about 200,000 because I like my lifestyle. So anytime I'm making less than 200,000, I get stressed out. My affluenza level is about a million a year. And so your zone will change. That's the first currency. The second currency is a currency we all have the exact same amount of, which is time. Too much time on your hand, you're bored. Too little time, you're stressed because I've got so much to do, I can't get it done. And when it comes to the currency of time, and have you ever had someone, Omobola, say to you, oh my God, I'm so busy. I don't have time to do this. I've got a family. I've got my business. And what I've realized is people are really good at being busy, but they're not necessarily productive. And there's a world of differences between the two of those. And so one of the things I love to teach people is how to really, like I live by the calendar on my phone. And I do my calendar a little differently, which we'll touch in um, on as we go through. But I'll let you know, the second thing I put on my calendar is what I call focus time. Because research has shown that people can only stay focused, really focused for about an hour at a time before they start drifting all over the place. And so I'll put on my phone, if say I'm writing my new book right now, I might put in my calendar, 10 to 11, writing book. And in that hour, I'll come into my office. I do not get distracted by anything else. And in that hour of being productive, I can actually do as much work as about six hours of being busy. So when people learn to be productive, they actually free up time. And they end up having a lot more energy around what they're doing. So that's the second currency. Third, cur- third currency is the currency of fame. Have you ever noticed that how fame can ruin people's lives? but yet other people, they seem to do well with it. And so I started wondering, what's the difference? What is it allows one person to handle it versus another? And it's about being you, being yourself in all things. So when someone becomes an authority, they start to get forms of fame, like more money, people, more people want to do business with them, more people want to learn from them, whatever it is. And so that fame can get people into their ego. And if you allow your ego And let me be clear, everybody has ego. I'll say that again. Everybody has ego. You've just got to learn how to utilize it in a healthy way so it doesn't sabotage your success. And when it comes to fame, I love something, an interview years ago with Jennifer Lopez. The person interviewing her said, Jennifer, you are a powerhouse. You're an actress, a singer, a a dancer, you, you, you know, a businesswoman, you're a powerhouse there. 
but also in your personal life, your powerhouse. Family's important. Your relationships are important. How do you separate the two? And what she said is, well, I'm, I'm me in everything I do. But when I'm in business, when I'm doing dance, our movies or singing and that, I'm J-Lo. That's my persona. But when I'm home, I'm Jennifer Lopez. To my family, I'm just Jennifer. And to me, that was a big defining moment because when I'm traveling around the world training, I'm in front of thousands of people at a time. I've got assistants taking care of everything. My brand, I'm Robert Raymond Riopelle. I'm me, but I'm Robert Raymond Riopelle. When I'm home, I'm just Robert or Rob. And my wife and I have a little joke. When I come home, she'll say, honey, you're home now. No more assistance. Go and take out the garbage. And I love it because it keeps me grounded. That's right. And so that's the currency of fame. And then the fourth currency is a currency I love to spend my focus time on, which is the currency of experience. When we talk about people, you know, life's too short not to have fun. One of the things that stresses people out is either they're a thousand miles ahead of themselves trying to figure out how am I going to do this? What do I need to do? What if this happens? What if that happens? They're running so many what if scenarios through their head, they're overwhelmed and they get burnt out. Or they're so far into the past, hanging on to things that happened to them and they're playing the victim of this happened to me. So because of this, I should have. And and so they're never present in the moment. And so it's about having that reality of being present through the good, the bad, the ugly. If you're truly experiencing the moment, that's living life. Because if you're truly present, you're now aware of what's going on around you. You're not missing life. How many people get to the end of their days and look back and go, what did I really do? Or what did, what's going on these last five years? I, I got successful, but I don't really know what I did. Or my, why did I get divorced? Or why is it my family won't talk to me? Because they were never present in the experience of the moment. So for me today, that's a currency I really focus on. I want to experience life to the fullest. So that's the four currencies. Awesome. Thank you for that incredible insight. Um, Robert. Now, so um, what's your definition of greatness, right? And now can people tap into the greatness? Well, every single one of us has a gift. You know, and what I'm going to encourage you to do right now and your audience to do is take a nice deep breath in and let it out. Now, if you're able to do that, there's still a reason for you to be on this planet because you have a gift to give. And in whatever way that is, greatness, people think, uh, a lot of people, they believe to be great, they have to do big things. No. Greatness is being true to you and being authentic. Here's who I am. And, and this is coming from a person who is a huge people pleaser. And Omobola, I don't know if you know anybody who is ever a people pleaser. When I ask audiences to raise their hand. I am also. <laughs> yeah. So and, and well, and, and that's is the key is, is one of the, probably one of the greatest lessons I learned about my greatness is that here's me. Here I am. I'm aerodynamic. I have terrible jokes. I like to have fun and I'm silly. And either you're going to like me for who I am or you're not. And if you like me for who I am, that's awesome. If you don't like me for who I am, that's awesome. Because now I know 
that if I, I look back and I go, how much time did I waste on trying to get people who wanted me to be someone different to like me? That was exhausting. And now that I focus on, I like to be around the people who like me for who I am and don't want me to change. I now attract the most amazing people into my life. And so that's how you live into your greatness. It, it's not about what can I do for the world? How can I empower the world? It's how can I be me in every day? That's living into your greatness. Beautiful. Now, um, right now, um, is it possible to be productive amidst and life chaos? Yes. And, and the first part of that to understand is that most people resist chaos, especially like, oh my goodness, everything's going great. And all of a sudden the life comes and smacks you upside the head. And you're like, why did that happen? Things were going great. And what they don't know is that because they resist chaos, that's why they get more of it. But if you understand that chaos is actually natural, and if you embrace it, you can actually volunteer for chaos in small ways. So that as an example, have you ever noticed that life is always trying to give you lessons? And if you don't listen to the lesson, what does life do? It gives you the lesson again with a little more intensity. True? And so most people, because they're risky, yeah, they keep getting the lesson and it comes harder and harder and harder until they can't Ooh. ignore it anymore. So when That's I right. talk about, um, I share with people my four phases of life. One of the phases I call them unclutter. It's another name for chaos because the way you volunteer in when you're in a chaos phase, it, this is the time to destroy something in your life. You actually destroy something that's not working. As an example, sometimes a business or personal relationship, it's time to let it go. It hasn't been working. So this is the time to let that go. Maybe it's time to, you've got a car that just is breaking down, breaking down, and you've wanted to get another one. Until you let go of the old car, you can't get the new car. So you've got to be willing to let go of something good to get something great. Let go of something great to get something amazing. And the reason I call it unclutter is because this is how you can volunteer. Is I Uncluttering is because it's destroying something. Every couple of weeks, I'll come into my office and I'll clean up my office and I'll throw away the things I don't need anymore or I'll donate them or whatever it is. I unclutter. Or as simple as going to your refrigerator. Have you ever walked to your refrigerator, opened it up, and you're like, ooh, maybe there's something I need to take out of there. It's smelling a little old. Unclutter your refrigerator. Because now what you're doing is you're showing that I'm willing to cooperate with chaos in my life so it doesn't hit you so hard. And Because chaos is actually in our life. As human beings, we're meant to evolve. That's one of our main objectives in life is to evolve. And most people want to stay in their comfort zone. And chaos comes along to say, nope, come on, you're better than this. Get going, evolve to the next level. And so that's why it's important to embrace the chaos. And a friend of mine, I love what he says. He says, especially when it comes to chaos, instead of being willing to live life, courageously allow life to live you. Because ladies and gentlemen, you don't have control of life. If you think you do, that's the biggest cosmic joke out there. You do not have control. Life is going to happen. You do have control on how you react to what's happening in your life. 
that you do have control on. But if you think you have control of things, <laughs> wrong, not happening. So learn to embrace it. Learn to um, <coughs> courageously allow life to live you and watch what's possible in your life. Thank you, Robert Ropiel, for your incredible insight once again on today's show. So moving on, um, those acquiring um, knowledge and experience doesn't really matter um, when it comes to being unsuccessful in life. Now, let's talk about being financially successful because I know that uh, success can be relative. It, it can. And, and look, everybody goes through ups and downs in their life. And I love that you talk with your audience about the down times in people's lives. It's not just about, about, hey, why are you great? What's all your successes? It's about what's been your hardships? Because I, like you, agree that's where some of our greatest lessons come from. And with some knowledge and experience and continual learning, anybody can create financial um, security and freedom in their life. I totally believe that. Sure. Now, do you want to talk about struggles in life, right? Any personal experience to portray the point? Yeah. Um, so... Today, yes, I've been blessed to travel around the world. I've personally taught over a half a million people how to create success in their life. But that's who I am today. You know, I haven't always been at this level. When uh, I've always been an entrepreneur and at a young age, I started working and I was taught when you work, even if you hate the job, if it's giving you security and a paycheck that supports your family, you do it. And so that's what I did. And by the time I'm 21, I'm now laid off from the third company I've been working for. And I'm like, I'm working hard. I'm staying loyal. What's going on? And where I live in Canada at the time, 1989, we're in a, an economic downturn. And I can't find what people might consider a real job. So because I've been taught, you do what you need to do to take care of your family. I started delivering pizzas for a company called Domino's Pizza. And I was able to go from being a driver because of my work ethic. I became a manager. My wife became my assistant and we start working hard, open to close seven days a week. I know how to work hard. And a year and a half in, we were now qualified to be franchisees. And my franchisee came and said, I'm getting out of Domino's Pizza. I'm selling my two stores. And I went into fear mode because I'm like, oh my goodness, here we go again. I'm about to be laid off. And so my answer was, we need to talk to other franchisees, find out which other stores we can manage. My wife looks at me and she goes, why would we do that? Why don't we just buy the store we are in? And I looked at her, I'm like, because we don't have any money. That's why we're not going to buy the store. <laughs> and I'm a, I was taught to be an in-the-box thinker. My wife, she's a what box? <laughs> she's like cr creative that way. And because of her passion, we started learning, how do you buy a business if you don't have money? And we made a lot of mistakes. And something I want your audience to understand, Omobola, is that mistakes are okay. In fact, there's no such thing to me as a mistake or a failure as long as you learn from it. Because that's where some of our greatest lessons come from is our, what did not work. And so I don't call them failure. I call it feedback because it gives you great feedback what didn't work. And every time we made a mistake or had failure, we'd learn from it. And in about, it took about four months where we now had the confidence and we knew what to say and what not to say. And all of a sudden, we weren't able to get the financing for our store. We actually got 100% financing for both the stores he had for sale. Now, we became franchisees and it was like, oh, we're now successful. And no, we weren't. See, we knew how to run a 
a, a run a store, but we didn't know how to run a business. And we, there's a world of differences there as well. For the first two years, our whole philosophy was, if there's money in the bank, we must be doing okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> like we thought we would do our own accounting because we couldn't afford an accountant. So we, again, were stumbling through making mistakes and went out of necessity. We had to get an accountant. We got things figured out and they looked at it and they went, looked at my wife and I went, how have the two of you made it these last two years? There's no way you should have been able to survive with how little money was coming in. But see, we didn't know what we didn't know. We were too tenacious to quit. Success takes tenacity. And when we started figuring things out, we started doing better financially. But we did something, Omobola. I'm about to shock you. I hope you're okay with this. Because we did something that you probably have never met anybody who's ever done this before. Are you ready? Sure. Bring it on. <laughs> we started spending more money than we were earning. Right? <laughs> and I know no one's ever done that before. No one's ever spent more money than they earned. And by the time we were franchisees for eight years, we are now actually over $150,000 in personal debt and going down quickly. And that's when we were introduced to personal development. And we went into a three-day training where we learned why we were spending money the way we were, how, how subconsciously, unconsciously we were doing it. So what created the debt? But second, we learned to take ownership. Quit blaming other people for our situation. We took ownership of it. Because if someone lost my money in an investment, I blamed them. But I'm the one that gave them the money. I'm the one that didn't do my due diligence. So we had to start taking ownership. And then we learned if we want to have success, here's some things we had to do. And in North America, I know the statistic here. I don't know it for other parts of the world, but I'm going to say it's pretty close because I've trained around the world. But in North America, only 3% of people will actually use the knowledge that they've been given. Only 3%. And I probably wouldn't have either when we left that weekend if my wife and I weren't so stressed out financially. We knew we had to make a change. And because of that, we actually started implementing what we had just learned. And we were actually able to go from being over $150,000 in debt to actually being retired completely financially free nine months later at the age of 32. Oh, oh so. Yeah. That's inspiring. <laughs> so whatever you're going through, know that you can get through it. Yeah. Keep learning, keep educating, and keep taking one step after another. Awesome. That was very brilliant of you, Robert Warpil. Now, do you have any projects in the pipeline? Yeah, I'm currently writing my second book right now, which is called The Authority Key, and looking to release it at the beginning of 2022 excited about that because it's not just um, there's a lot of people and if, if you've ever noticed someone can have the same amount of knowledge or experience as you or even less but yet they make more money and the question is why is that well they're seen as an authority where maybe you're not and so there's a lot of information out there about how to be how to become an authority things like write a book or host a podcast these all elevate you as who you are as authority in people's eyes, social proof. But what I want to really do is in my book, I take a deep dive into who are you as the person? Who are you? What is it inside of you that's either elevating your success or sabotaging it? Why do you make the decisions the way you do? 
why do you have times where you do really well and other times where you struggle? And so I, I really work deep on who the person is so that as you become an authority and get more success, you can actually keep it. And actually, because making money is one thing, keeping it totally different. Awesome. Now you're talking about sauces, 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 you know, in our discussion, right? You have wrote a book uh, about sauces, left a clue. Can you tell my audience a bit about it? Yeah, in this book, Success Left a Clue, it is six life-changing habits that I go through with people. And it, and I kept it, I could have made it a really um, difficult thousand-page book and give you all the science, all the, you know, <laughs> why it works, how it works, why you should do it. People would read the first five pages, get bored, and, and quit. So I made it a very, very easy read. And the reason I'm telling people that is because I don't want them to let the simplicity fool them. These six steps, if you actually do them, will change your life. And the six steps, step number one, is to dream big. Now, notice I didn't say dream. I said dream big. See, most people, when they're uh, a child, anything's possible. They have these big dreams of what they want to be, who they want, you know, what they want to do, where they want to go. But then as we grow older, society tells us to be realistic. And our dreams get smaller and smaller and smaller. And so it's about all how to dream big again and why that's important. Second step, find a mentor or someone to model. Because I don't care who you are. Chances are whatever you want to do, someone's already accomplished it before. So find out how they did it because the shortest distance to success is to model what someone else has done. But when you're doing finding a mentor or someone to model, I put another twist on that one. Something that's just as important is ask yourself the question, who can I be a mentor to? Who can I be a model to? And people might say to me, but I don't have success. I haven't done what you've done. I can't mentor people. Yes, you can. Again, some of your greatest struggles in life may be some of the greatest gifts you can give back to other people. And so even if it's mentoring one person, just ask yourself that question. Step three, you can have the greatest dreams, you can have the greatest mentors, but step three, if you don't do this, you're not going anywhere. Take action. In all my travels around the world, the biggest difference between success and non-success, successful people take action. One of my favorite quotes, one step in the right direction is worth a thousand years of thinking about it. So take that step, take that action. Four, what's interesting about this one is, again, you can have the greatest mentor or greatest dreams, greatest mentors. You can even take action and have some success. But most people miss step number four, and that's why they either don't keep it, sabotage their success, or don't think they have success. And it's to celebrate your successes. Every day I wake up, I do is my success journal. I look at the successes from the day before and over the years it's morphed. It's now a success or gratitude journal. Not only what, am, what is, have I done successfully, but who am I grateful for? What am I grateful for in my life? And that starts my day off on the right foot because now I'm entering the day with gratitude and happiness and feeling that I have created success. And with your success journal, even if it feels small success, write it down. Because your mind will make it a small, medium, or large success. 
And that's all crap. A success is a success is a success. So some days I actually, what I've written in my success journal is I got out of bed. Yes. Because for some people that is a big success. And some days it is for me. So I write it in. I got out of bed today. So that's step number four. Step number five is kind of a byproduct of what step number four does is believing in yourself. One of the biggest challenges I've noticed that people have in their lives around the world, low self-esteem, self-doubt. And so when it comes to believing in yourself, I want people to know, because we've been taught as children, don't brag, don't boast, don't be arrogant. I'm talking about having that belief in yourself with confidence, not arrogance. So own those little successes and the greatness, like who are you and own it. Because when you own it authentically, one, I believe the greatest gift anybody can give this planet is to show up and be themselves authentically, plain and simple. So celebrate your successes will elevate your self-esteem and believing in yourself. So believe in yourself, no matter what you're going through. And then the final step, step number six, easiest step of all. And remember, don't let the simplicity fool you on this. Step number six, repeat the first five (laughs) steps. Is just repeat those first five steps. that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, you know, on um, sources and also how we can, you know, achieve greatness from within, right? I really appreciate your insight once again. Um, do you have any parting words you'd like to share with my audience? Yeah, you know, the way I sign every autograph and the way I sign every email, always live with passion. Great. Simple. I love that. <laughs> I, I'm a simple guy. I like oh. to keep it simple because if it's Great. too difficult for me, I don't do it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. I like the pay line. Now, do you have any social media connections? I know you I, do. Yes, of course. <laughs> you, you can find me on Facebook. I have a fan page. I'd love to be able to do that. You can also find me. My assistant tells me I'm now on LinkedIn. I'm now on Instagram. Uh, I don't even know how to do that. So, I, so it's taking care of that. But you know what, um, Omobola, you've been so gracious to have me on as a guest. I would love to, as a gift to your audience for taking their precious time and listening to this interview, I have a gift for them from us. And that is, you know, my first book, my international best-selling book, Success Left a Clue, is I would love that every one of your audience members, for them to be able to get the um, digital version download of this as our gift to them for taking their time and it's the full book not just a few chapters the full book download that they'll be able to get i'd love to give them as a gift just by going to robertreopel.com my name just r-o-b-e-r-t-r-i-o-p-e-l.com and i would love for them to download the book but it does come with a caveat and because most people they get a book they read it They put it on the shelf and it becomes shelf help. That's not why I wrote this book. (laughs) I wrote this book as an instruction manual, as a workbook, because remember, step number three is to take action. Action. So I actually have action steps all the way through here. And what it'll do is it'll actually say, did you do the last action? If not, stop reading right now 
go back, do that action before you read any more. Because I, I firmly believe if people actually do the action steps in this book, their life will change. Awesome. Great. We'll be on the lookout, right? Thank you once again. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> for your time and for your thoughts on the show today. I really had an amazing and a blast on today's show, I tell you. Right. Thank you, audience, for joining me on the show today. It's really been an amazing time with Robert Reopel on the show today. Let's do this some other time. I need you to always this always with all my love. I talk to you soon. Somebody ought to come along and let you down So you could see my side and how it feels to hit the ground How can you say that nothing's different, that we should pick up the pieces? Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Life Well Lived by Amabala Stephen. It's an engaging and enlightening talk show on life, relationships, and the business of life. Grab a cup of juice and just chill. Life Well Lived by Amabala Stephen. Live life. Live fully. I'm a business owning meal prepping 24-7 super mom. But who isn't nowadays? And for me, first day of school success begins at Office Depot Office Max, where everything my kids need to start the year strong is in one place, like a laptop for my high schooler, backpacks and notebooks for the little ones, and hand sanitizer for all of the above. I can even order things for my business. It's all available in-store and online at OfficeDepot.com and at low prices all season long. Office Depot Office Max, their business is to keep school going. It's time to put on your party hat at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort and Harris Cherokee Valley River Casino and Hotel. From the thrilling yet intimate experience of Harris Cherokee Valley River Casino and Hotel in Murphy, North Carolina, to the Vegas-style resort at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort in Cherokee, North Carolina, these destinations will brighten your day and light up your night. You must be 21 years of age or older to enter the casino floor and to gamble unless present a valid state or federal photo ID upon request. No one to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Enterprise of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. I'm a business owning meal prepping 24-7 super mom. But who isn't nowadays? And for me, first day of school success begins at Office Depot Office Max, where everything my kids need to start the year strong is in one place, like a laptop for my high schooler, backpacks and notebooks for the little ones, and hand sanitizer for all of the above. I can even order things for my business. It's all available in-store and online at OfficeDepot.com and at low prices all season long. Office Depot Office Max, their business is to keep school going. Hello friends, welcome to the Card Studio podcast where we examine news and issues and explain them for you in as simple a manner as possible. Today let's talk about attention economy and how changes are happening there. 
So first, let me tell you what an attention economy is. Attention economy, you can say, is based on clicks and, and securing our attention to uh, what you call pump and amplify any particular content. So mostly it's the, you can say it's on, on, on Facebook and, and Twitter and anywhere else. You can say everywhere it's all about the amount of attention that you can give into the clicks, to the content, and that leads to advertisers come in and that is where content support but changes and changes independent platforms subscription based platforms और लोगों के पास जो अपना क्योंकि अटेंशन इकोनॉमी में है कि आप अपना टाइम भी बहुत सारा खर्च करना पड़ता है आपको कुछ पढ़ने के लिए क्योंकि बहुत बार पता नहीं रहता कि कंटेंट कैसा है और आपने क्लिक किया और कहां से कहां पहुंच गए प्लस बीच में एडवर्टाइजमेंट्स भी आते रहते हैं और सबसे बड़ी बात जो है वो न्यूज़पेपर्स में भी है कि जो राइटिंग होती है वो बहुत अधिकतर तक बिकॉज़ एडवर्टाइजर्स पैसे खर्च करते हैं वो आपके न्यूज़पेपर्स को फंड करते हैं तो आपको लगता है कि न्यूज़पेपर्स के की प्राइस कम होती है और जो क्वालिटी ऑफ कंटेंट है उसमें देखोगे कि आप एडवर्टाइजमेंट्स भी होते हैं और प्लस अ लॉट ऑफ एडवर्टोरियल्स आर देयर अ लॉट ऑफ थिंग्स दैट आर यू नो टॉकिंग अबाउट अबाउट द पॉइंट ऑफ व्यू ऑफ द एडवर्टाइजर्स इन अ वेरी सटल मैनर आई कैन टेल यू दैट और ऑनलाइन में भी ये काफी कुछ आपको देखने को मिल जाएगा लेकिन आप सोचो कि अगर कोई प्लेटफॉर्म सब्सक्रिप्शन पे बेस्ड हो तो वो किसके लिए लिखेगा वो लिखेगा सब्सक्राइबर्स के लिए जैसे मैं और आप तो अगर सब्सक्राइबर्स के तरीके से लिखा जाएगा कोई कंटेंट तो वो हमारी हमायत करेगा हमारी बात को आगे रखेगा ना कि किसी और की जो उसको फंड कर रहा है तो इसमें आप देखोगे कि इंटरनेशनली जो है बहुत सारे इंडिपेंडेंट प्लेटफॉर्म्स भी आए हैं अगर जर्नलिज्म में देखो हिंदुस्तान में आप देखो तो द कैन नाम का एक प्लेटफॉर्म है जिसके अराउंड इफ आई इफ आई एम करेक्ट 25000 से ऊपर सब्सक्राइबर्स है और बहुत सारे लॉन्ग फॉर्मेट स्टोरीज लिखते हैं अच्छी स्टोरीज लिखते हैं और आशा है कि ऐसे ही करते रहेंगे तो उसमें देखोगे कि क्वालिटी ऑफ कंटेंट काफी अलग होता है जो कि हम रेगुलरली या रेगुलर तरीके से पढ़ते हैं तो उसमें आपको देखोगे कि काफी क्वालिटी की चीजें होती है आपको एनालिसिस थोड़ा सा निष्पक्ष ज्यादा दिखेगा और जैसे-जैसे आप पढ़ोगे ऐसे ही कंटेंट के प्लेटफॉर्म्स में आपको ज्यादा चीजें दिखने लगेंगी और आप समझने लगोगे कि मैं क्या कहने की कोशिश कर रहा हूं दूसरी तरफ इंटरनेशनली अब आप देखोगे तो सबस्टैक जैसे प्लेटफॉर्म्स हैं जो कि इंडिपेंडेंट राइटर्स के लिए बहुत अच्छे प्लेटफॉर्म्स हैं उसमें आप अपनी वॉइस भी डाल सकते हो पॉडकास्ट भी कर सकते हो और उसमें जो है बहुत से लोग हैं जो सब्सक्रिप्शन बेस्ड न्यूज़लेटर्स के तरीके से अपना कंटेंट बेचते हैं अपने व्यूज बेस्ड बेच सकते हैं और फ्री में भी लोगों के साथ शेयर कर सकते हैं बट दिस कैन बी अ गुड मीडियम इफ यू राइट वेल एंड इफ यू कैन हैव गुड क्वालिटी व्यूज ऑन एनी पर्टिकुलर टॉपिक और एनी हैव एन एक्सपर्टाइज इन एनी पर्टिकुलर सब्जेक्ट सो देयर विल बी पीपल हु विल बी लुकिंग फॉर फॉर दैट सॉर्ट ऑफ अ कंटेंट अब जो मैं बात असली बहुत मुद्दा ये है कि इंटरनेशनली क्या चेंजेस हो रहे हैं जहां पे अब आप देखो कि अटेंशन इकोनॉमी जहां पे फेसबुक है फिर उसके बाद और भी जो दूसरे मॉडल्स हैं वहां पे चेंजेस हो रहे हैं तो सबसे बड़ा जो चेंज हुआ तो और ट्विटर ने अनाउंस किया कि उन्होंने 
परचेज किया है रेव्यू नाम के एक न्यूज लेटर प्लेटफॉर्म को प्लेटफॉर्म फॉर राइटर्स एंड पब्लिशर्स अब ये प्लेटफॉर्म जो है ये थोड़ा सा सब्सक्रिप्शन बेस्ड टाइप की बात लग रही है और इसमें जो अगर आप लिखते हो और या प्लेटफॉर्म्स पे ये अधिकतर अगर इंडिपेंडेंट राइटर्स और पब्लिशर्स अगर लिखेंगे तो वो फिर आ, आप समझो कि इंडिपेंडेंट राइटिंग होगी तो ट्विटर जैसा एक प्लेटफॉर्म जो कि अटेंशन बेस्ड इस पे इकोनॉमी पे काम कर रहा है वो भी धीरे धीरे इसका मतलब ये है कि वो सीरियस कंटेंट की तरफ दिख रहा है तो क्या इसका मतलब लोगों को समझ में आने लगा है कि अपनी टाइम की कीमत उनके लिए बहुत ज्यादा है और वो ऐसे ही किसी टॉपिक पे सिर्फ एंटर नहीं करेंगे कि किसी के लिए बस स्टैटिस्टिक्स बन जाए बल्कि वो समय ऐसी चीजों को पढ़ने में लगाएंगे जो उनके लिए इंपॉर्टेंट हो जो उनके लिए एक्चुअल मीनिंगफुल हो दूसरा जो डेवलपमेंट दूसरी जो डेवलपमेंट हुई है वो आप देखो कि फेसबुक ने फेसबुक भी एट, एक इस प्लेटफॉर्म इस तरह के एक प्लेटफॉर्म पे को लाने की बात कर रहा है और जो ये खबर सोर्स बेस्ड आ रही थी कि ये भी जल्दी अपना एक प्लेटफॉर्म लेकर आएंगे जो कि सब्सक्रिप्शन बेस्ड होगा तो दो बड़े बड़े जो प्लेटफॉर्म्स हैं जो कि क्लिक इकोनॉमी या अटेंशन बेस्ड अटेंशन इकोनॉमी के ऊपर डिपेंडेंट है वो अगर इस तरह के सीरियस मॉडल की तरफ बढ़ रहे हैं तो हमें यह ध्यान देने की जरूरत है उनको भी अब समझ में आ गया कि लोगों के पास अपने समय की कीमत का पता है प्लस उनके पास अब समय इतना नहीं है कि वो जबरदस्ती के अननेसेसरी कंटेंट या यूजलेस कंटेंट को देखे द वर्ल्ड इज मूविंग टूवर्ड्स मच मोर क्वालिटी कंटेंट एंड एंड वैल्यू फॉर देयर टाइम शॉर्ट ऑफ ए कंटेंट इन इन रियल सेंस एंड एंड इट इज गुड दैट दिस प्लेटफॉर्म्स आर गोइंग टू दैट डायरेक्शन सबस्टैक जो कि uh, 2017 में बना था वो तो खैर है ही जो अलाउ uh, करते हैं राइटर्स को कि पब्लिश और डिस्ट्रीब्यूट अपनी पेड और फी ई लेटर्स के थ्रू अपने फॉलोअर्स के साथ कर सकते हैं इसको देखते हुए जो है हमीश मैकेजी ऑफ सबस्टैक उन्होंने लिखा कि हमने क्यों क्यों उन्होंने सबस्टैक जैसा प्लेटफॉर्म शुरू किया और जिसको अब शायद थोड़ा सा कंपटीशन देने की कोशिश करेंगे रिव्यू जो ट्विटर ट्विटर का हो गया है और फेसबुक जो भी प्लेटफॉर्म है हमीश मैकेजी ने सबस्टैक पे ही अपने आर्टिकल में लिखा कि वन ऑफ द रीजन वी स्टार्टेड सबस्टैक इज दैट वी वर कंसर्न अबाउट द इफेक्ट ऑफ द अटेंशन इकोनॉमी ऑन द ह्यूमन माइंड that might sound grandiose but it is undeniable that our addiction to social media is having negative effects on both individual and collective thought to ye badi achhi baat hai ki human mind ke upar agar too much social media ke upar hum khali dekhte rahenge to that is also not good and that is where the serious uh, sort of a platforms are needed and where needed where substack came in and now other also trying to come iske upar jo hamish mckenzie ka unka kehna hai ki jo ki facebook aur twitter इसमें आ रहे हैं उन्होंने उसका स्वागत तो किया है बट उन्होंने कुछ कंसर्न्स भी जाहिर किए हैं कि उनका उनका कहना है नाई कोट कि इन पर्टिकुलर फेसबुक एंड ट्विटर शुड डू देयर अटमोस्ट टू गिव पावर टू राइटर्स एंड रीडर्स दैट मींस लेटिंग राइटर्स ओन देयर रिलेशनशिप्स विद रीडर्स एंड गिविंग देम द एबिलिटी टू टेक दो रिलेशनशिप्स ऑफ द प्लेटफॉर्म वेन दे वॉन्ट इट ऑल्सो मीन्स लेटिंग लीडर्स रीडर्स फुली कंट्रोल वॉट दे सी इन दियर फीड्स बाय अवॉइडिंग एड्स एंड Disincentivizing culture war super weapons like retweetable quote retweets. So ये जो है काफी ज्यादा आप चीज चीज जो है हमको देखने को मिलेगी आगे चलते वक्त हिंदुस्तान में भी आप देखो कि अभी योर स्टोरी ने भी अपना एक नया प्लेटफॉर्म शुरू कर दिया है चेट टेक्नोलॉजी बेस्ड न्यूज के ऊपर जो कि 
अब सब्सक्रिप्शन बेस्ड न्यूज न्यूज देने की कोशिश करेंगे न्यूज के भी काफी एडिशन है जो ऑनलाइन उनके वर्जन से वो भी सब्सक्रिप्शन बेस्ड न्यूज देने की कहने का मतलब यह है कि अगर आपको ढंग की इंफॉर्मेशन चाहिए होगी फ्यूचर में या फोकस्ड इंफॉर्मेशन चाहिए होगी सो यू विल हैव टू पे फॉर दैट एंड 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 देन जो लिखेंगे वैसे उस उन टॉपिक्स के ऊपर दे विल बी इंडिपेंडेंट राइटर्स अ लॉट ऑफ देम हु विल बी एंड ऑन प्लेटफॉर्म्स लाइक सबस्टैक एंड ऑल हु विल हुज जॉब विल बी टू राइट क्वालिटी कंटेंट फॉर यू एंड फ्रॉम द पॉइंट ऑफ व्यू ऑफ देयर सब्सक्राइबर्स बिकॉज़ अगर वो ढंग से नहीं लिखेंगे तो सब्सक्राइबर्स चले जाएंगे and not from the point of view of advertisers who fund places uh, that is happening at the moment so this is it try try to try uh, try understanding what i am saying keep watching uh, what is happening on the content part because wherever we go where whichever place we go either offline or online we are consuming content in one way or the other whichever platform we are going and that is what that is very important because it is what impacts our mind not only our mind then whatever we speak we talk to our children also to everybody else are down on the street or to in our in our community in our offices some way or the other whatever we read uh, subconsciously impacts on our mind and on our actions so that's all uh, one i wanted to talk to you about and it's a good thing that things are moving towards better content so i uh, that that i'm very happy about and let's see how it all pans out in the coming days That's all for today. Thank you very much. It's time to put on your party hat at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort and Harris Cherokee Valley River Casino and Hotel. From the thrilling yet intimate experience of Harris Cherokee Valley River Casino and Hotel in Murphy, North Carolina, to the Vegas Star Resort at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort in Cherokee, North Carolina, these destinations will brighten your day and light up your night. Must be 21 years of age or older to enter the casino floor and to gamble, and must present a valid state or federal photo ID upon request. No one to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Enterprise of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. What matters most when streaming House Hunters? Location. Location. <laughs> location. And that location is Discovery Plus. Start your free trial to get more. Oh wow! Perfect. Oh yeah. Oh jeez. The streaming home of House Hunters plus so much more is Discovery Plus. Download our app in iTunes and the Google Play Store. You're listening to TED Talks Daily. I'm your host, Elise Hugh. I know I'm not alone in feeling paralyzed sometimes by my own insecurities and self-doubt. The questions like, am I good enough for this? Am I even suited for it? Or maybe I shouldn't even do my best and I'll underprepare because I'm scared of failing. All of this is part of imposter syndrome, and in today's episode from Work Life with Adam Grant, he uses the latest research to help us overcome that kind of thinking. If you like what you hear, find Work Life wherever you're listening to this. You wouldn't put your teen athlete on the same field as the pros, so why would you take them to the same doctor? Children's Healthcare of Atlanta Orthopedics and Sports Medicine is Georgia's only nationally ranked program for teen athletes. Visit today at choa.org/teens. 
About a decade ago, I wanted to bring more curiosity to campus outside the classroom. I decided to start an author series where I'd invite writers to give a talk and answer questions from students. My students told me it would be much more engaging to see a fireside chat, that I should interview the authors on stage. And I balked. Here's how a former student, Pam Klein, remembers that day. I remember you saying to me that there's no way I'm going to sit on stage awkwardly and that it made you generally uncomfortable to have everyone watching you do the interview. I was too insecure. What if I asked dumb questions or accidentally offend the author? What if in trying to be respectful to the author, I bore the audience? What should my hands be doing? How do I not look like I have resting jerk face? What if the student newspaper makes fun of me? Our students pushed back. And finally, I said, well, you host it then. I ended up volunteering because you were so uncomfortable and it made me uncomfortable and I wanted to help you. I was nervous about being on stage too, but I figured, you know, the stakes were relatively low and it would be a great chance to practice public speaking. And in the end, it really wasn't a big deal at all. Pam covered for me in my own author series and covered for my insecurities. As I watched her do an amazing job, I realized I had a choice. I could only take on tasks where I knew I'd succeed, or I could take risks that would challenge me to grow. I'm Adam Grant, and this is Work Life, my podcast with the TED Audio Collective. I'm an organizational psychologist. I study how to make work not suck. In this show, I take you inside the minds of fascinating people, to rethink how we work, lead, and live. Today, how to overcome the costs of insecurity and make it work to your benefit. Thanks to Logitech for sponsoring this episode. Everyone has insecurities. They're those moments of self-doubt where you question yourself or your abilities. Am I creative enough to solve this problem? I don't know how I got this promotion. I'm not as competent as they think I am. Am I smart enough to impress this client? They're going to find out. When you think of insecurity, you probably think of self-esteem. But they're not the same. Self-esteem is how highly you think of yourself. How much confidence you have. Security is how stable your confidence is. And insecurity is the opposite, where your confidence is unstable. Take bullies. Growing up, your mom probably told you they picked on people because they had low self-esteem. Sorry, mom, that's not the case. Psychologists find that bullies usually have high self-esteem, but it's fragile. They think they're awesome, but if you insult their intelligence, they're easily threatened, so they want to beat you up to make themselves feel better. At work, if you're insecure, making one mistake can bring your entire sense of competence and worth crashing down. Being secure means your confidence isn't easily shattered. You can fail without feeling like a complete failure, which is important because failure is a stepping stone to success in so many jobs. When I first started doing stand-up, 
I was 16, so I was very insecure just in general. Taylor Tomlinson got into comedy after her dad signed them both up for a comedy class. And she kept at it long after the class was done. But her insecurities didn't go away. When I first started going to L.A. to do spots, it was so hit or miss. This job is really anxiety-inducing. And so there was a long time where I was like, should I just be a teacher? I've had, I've had panic attacks where, yeah, you have to be at a show in like 10 minutes and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And there were certainly times that I was like, why am I doing this to myself? Why in the world did you want to do this whole stand-up comedy thing? You could have easily quit. I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin until I started doing stand-up. I felt like, wow, I get to be the person I dream about being for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And the gap started closing as I got older and better to where who I was offstage matched who I was on stage. So much of my stand-up is made up of experiences that I'm embarrassed of. That when I started doing stand-up, I got to sort of take the power back from those experiences. And so every time something bad happened to me, I could turn it into a joke. And it didn't feel like I made a stupid mistake. It just reframed everything and helped me look at my life in a much gentler way. Because it was like, okay, now everything can be material. Taylor spent the next decade performing and sometimes failing on countless stages. It was only when I did it all the time that I wasn't afraid of it. And her hard work eventually paid off. At 25, she was one of the youngest comedians ever to be invited to do an hour-long special on Netflix. I actually cried because I felt so scared and so guilty that I got it. Because I was like, wow, I'm not good enough. And I somehow tricked Netflix into giving me this opportunity that I can think of dozens of people who deserve it more than me. I was really petrified. I was really nervous that people were going to think it was trash. And so it could have totally been that I wasn't ready and it wasn't good. She did it. And it was better than good. I'm an introvert. Is anyone else an introvert? (laughs) All right, that was a test and you failed. Uh... No introverts ever gone, woo, at any decibel. Real introverts are parked outside going, is it even worth it? I don't know who she is. Insecurity itself is not a problem. Research shows the problem lies in how we try to cover up our deficits rather than facing and dealing with them effectively. The first mistake is becoming paralyzed by doubt. If you go to see a headliner or someone who's been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years, you'll be so intimidated and paralyzed that you won't even try. So I was terrified going on stage for years. There were definitely times that I thought, why am I doing this? I don't know that I'm cut out for this. I don't have the personality that is suited for this job and this business and this industry. And I felt that way for a long time, and I wanted to be good at it so badly that I just had to push through it. But it was really hard. If you find a reason to push past the paralysis, 
The second mistake is that insecurity stops you from trying hard enough. You don't give it your best shot because you're afraid to find out that you don't have what it takes. The first few years that I was doing stand-up, I didn't think I could do it as a job until I met somebody who was like, you're actually being kind of dumb. <laughs> like You're sort of like squandering your abilities because you're not working hard enough. And it's because you're scared and you're not performing as much as you could be because you're afraid of failing and you're afraid you don't deserve to be here and you're really only hurting yourself. And if you don't make it as a, as a performer, you have no one to blame but yourself. There's this whole body of research on self-handicapping about how when people aren't sure if they're good enough at something, um, they deliberately underprepare because then they don't have to find out if they're any good. Oh, 100%. I think I still do that with acting stuff. I sometimes tell myself, well, I'm just focused on other things and I don't really even care about this. And so you don't prepare for it like you would prepare for something else that you believe you could actually do. Self-handicapping shields you from finding out that you're not any good. The trouble is that it also prevents you from finding out if you have the potential to be great. You won't know whether you have what it takes until you make a real investment. So you just have to rise to the occasion and be worthy of the opportunities you've been given. At a certain point, you just have to go, this is the best I can do right now. I did everything I could. Which often doesn't feel like it's enough. You either imagine people are saying horrible things about you or judging you. And sometimes they tell you. In male-dominated fields, research shows that women are more likely to be doubted by others. They have to work harder to prove their competence. And even the compliments are often backhanded. There's a lot of like, you're my favorite female comedian. You're one of the best female comedians working right now. Nobody says Bill Burr is my favorite male comedian. Nobody does that. They just say comedian. You do feel like you're in this sort of other group where you're like, you're the best t-ball player. And you're like, I thought we were all playing baseball, but I guess not. So it does make you feel like you're being judged in a different way. So you become obsessed with seeking external validation by proving yourself to others, which is the third mistake. Research reveals that pursuing validation backfires. It's impossible to produce work that everyone loves all the time. If you base your self-esteem on other people's approval, your confidence will always be unstable. It's exhausting emotionally. It's why looking for external validation doesn't work. And it's hard because our entire job is external validation and instant gratification. And you don't think you're good enough. And you go, if I get this thing, that'll prove to me that I am good enough. But then even when you get the thing that you expected to fix you, you only see all the reasons why you're still right that you're not good enough. I mean, it's confirmation bias, right? A healthier approach to managing insecurity is to stabilize your self-esteem by making it less dependent on external validation. A good starting point? Decide whose approval actually matters to you. Now with the internet, it is so much easier to find the people who like you. It's very similar to finding someone to partner up with for life. 
not everybody is going to want to marry you. You just have to find the people who do want to marry you. And that's how stand-up comedy is. Not everyone's going to think you're funny, but you have to find someone and just make a lot of those people aware of you until you have your fan base. Those four words, just not for me, that has made a huge difference for me and my insecurity and my imposter syndrome in this business where I just have to say, I'm just not for them. There are plenty of people that I am for, and that's who you have to focus on. Choosing your audience can help to stabilize your confidence. Of course, you might not be able to ignore everyone else's opinions altogether, but you can change how you want to be seen. Taylor decided that even if people didn't love her performance yet, they could still respect her resolve. I think it just comes down to work ethic. Because you can't change how talented people think you are or how much people like what you do, but you can make people respect how hard you work. So while I'm maybe insecure about who I am and I have reasons to be, I know that I work really hard. I feel confident about that. What Taylor's describing is a shift from extrinsic to intrinsic motivation. Pursuing excellence at a task because you enjoy it. Focusing on the activity for its own sake, instead of just the results or rewards that might follow from it. People used to ask me what my goals were, and I used to say, I just want to perform in theaters. That's my goal, and this is still my goal, and it's happening now. I think if you focus on how you want your life to be instead of how you want people to perceive you, I would like to have stand-up specials that are successful so that people come out to see me do what I love. And that's what I want my life to look like. Evidence shows that we're less likely to become discouraged by setbacks when we shift our goals from extrinsic image to intrinsic mastery, from proving our competence to improving our competence. If you're a student, that means worrying less about acing the test and more about gaining a strong command of the material. If you're a new manager, it's shifting your attention away from impressing your team with your knowledge and toward building your knowledge. In other words, you focus less on looking good and more on getting better. Taylor does this with new jokes. She tests them out on her audience. I guess I don't feel horrible when people don't laugh now. On stage, sometimes I just say like, guys, that works everywhere. That was on you. I don't know what happened. If everyone could just get it together because we have another 20 minutes. <laughs> but if I'm trying something new and it doesn't work, I just go, all right, that doesn't work. But succeeding so young hasn't magically melted away her insecurities. In some ways, it's magnified them. It just made me feel like I was tricking people, even more so. Where I'm like, well, it's not that I'm really good at stand-up, it's just that I'm young. I'm just young and lucky. I have an angle. It's that I'm a child. <laughs> <laughs> there is a complete contradiction in saying, on the one hand, you don't think you're good enough as a comedian. On the other hand, you think you're a way better judge of your own comedy than all the Netflix people. How arrogant. Oh, wow. This is blowing my mind a little bit. I have imposter syndrome in a lot of areas of my life where I feel like I'm tricking people. But that is me going, I'm so smart, I figured it out. I see through me. <laughs> <laughs> 
No one else does, but I get it. Yes. And if you're going to trust your own judgment, you can't only trust it when you judge yourself negatively. Yes, that's true. So I just have to find a way to think, well, I do trust you. (laughs) I trusted you when you said I was garbage. So you must be right now. Although I'm afraid because the alternative, what you've been doing, has clearly worked extraordinarily well for your career. So I don't want to do anything to sabotage it. That's the real issue with all this is I would really love to not be so anxious, but it does make me really good at my job because I try harder because I'm afraid of failing. And if I didn't have that fire under my ass, maybe I wouldn't be as good. How do you turn insecurity into motivation? More on that after the break. Okay, this is going to be a different kind of ad. I play a personal role in selecting the sponsors for this podcast because they all have interesting cultures of their own. Today, we're going inside the workplace at Logitech. Even before a pandemic happened, we had initiatives like Work From Anywhere, which meant that pretty much you're next to a beach uh, or on snow-capped mountain or anywhere else. You're free to work from there. Meet Pariket Bhattacharji. He works at Logitech and lives in Shanghai. In January 2020, Pariket and his wife went to India to see family and friends on what was supposed to be a week-long holiday. And by the time we reached and we spent that week, it became a full-blooming pandemic in China, and it was a scary environment there, and we couldn't go back. That so-called vacation has become a -a year-and-a-half-long journey. Pariket has adapted to working remotely from his family's hometown during the pandemic, but not without some setbacks. It's a tiny place. Uh, We have limited resources in terms of the strength of internet connectivity, and had a terrible time working. Caring about people has long been a core value at Logitech. Everyone was sort of connecting with me on a a day-to-day basis, checking on me, how am I doing? There were times when I was on a Zoom call and I looked a little stressed because of the entire way I'm working and it's not like I'm I'm being able to be my 100% because of all these distractions around me. And they would look at me and they would be like, take a couple of days, leave and come back when you feel better. And that sort of says a lot about the culture of a company, right? One of Logitech's principles is to put humanity first. Even pre-pandemic, many employees enjoyed the option to work from anywhere. Also, the first Monday of every month, we are given holiday, all of us, the entire organization, to refresh ourselves. And these Mondays off really is a big blessing because you get three days together and you can refresh yourself and you come back really pumped up to deliver your best again. The opportunity to create a flexible schedule is another initiative that Pariket has appreciated particularly when he was recovering from COVID. Especially after COVID, when I was feeling sick or not feeling well, uh, I was offered flexible working hours. I think one of the good things about Logitech is, as a company, it listens. It really listens to what the employees are thinking, what they are facing, what they are doing. That piece of humanity is what makes this organization so special. Research has shown that especially during the pandemic, Flexible work arrangements can go a long way toward helping employees cope with stressful situations. By providing flexible hours, Logitech was able to give Pariket the space and time he needed. This is a very, very worrisome time. Everyone has anxiety right now in terms of uh, what's happening in this world, when you go back to the normal again. What you need right now is to really have that good rest. You need to play back 
and and just relax and let it go and that will really help you in this uh, pandemic situation with a more happy and and, and content mind Logitech has a strong culture of valuing employees and their communities. Learn more at Logitech's company page on LinkedIn. My first experience of imposter syndrome was probably when I was nine years old, when I came from Nigeria to the U.S., and it was the first time I ever felt different. Meet Lavi Ajayi Jones. And I walked into that classroom in Chicago in October, where it's cold, and I instantly knew that my name was different, my accent was different, that everything about me was strange. Like, nobody told me I was strange, I just knew and felt it. And I knew I had to adjust who I was to fit that room. And I think we learn very early on how to adapt and how to shift ourselves for the room, as opposed to making the room shift for us. I lost my accent by listening to how the kids were speaking, but I was still only going to change myself to a certain point. I could have brought sandwiches to school, but I still brought jollof rice. One time I tried to bring a sandwich to school, but I miss my actual spices. I think that might be a metaphor for your life, Lovey, that ever since that day, you have refused to leave the spice behind. I, that's, <laughs> that's it. That's a word. That's a word, Adam. That's it. I do not leave the spice behind. Like, the spice is coming with me. Even when I try not to, to like, stand out, I stand out. Lovey started her career as a marketing coordinator at a nonprofit. After getting laid off, she struggled to find a job. Eventually, she decided to focus on her blog, Awesomely Lovey. People were drawn to her wisdom, her humor, and her conversational style. When I started blogging in 2003, I just was writing the truth out loud. Because blogging at that point was not considered a career, I was able to tell the truth out loud in public because I wasn't doing it for strategy. As her audience grew, so did her prominence. Lovey was invited to report at the Oscars. She wrote a book that hit the New York Times bestseller list, and she started giving a lot of public speeches. But there was still one stage she hadn't been on, the Red Circle. Then, in 2017, she was invited to give a TED Talk. I instantly said no. They would think it's trash and say, you're right, lovey. You should not be there. <laughs> the idea that you, the person that we've all looked at and said, I do not want to have to speak after lovey. I'm going before her. You didn't think you were ready is insane. Right, because I didn't think I was ready for that stage. A couple months passed, and Ted asked again. Lovey declined again. I was coming up with all type of good excuses, okay? They were good excuses. That was major imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. You've definitely heard of it. You might even be feeling it right now. It's when other people's views of your competence exceed your confidence. How could it be that even after so much proven success and praise, Lovey could still feel like an imposter? What happens with imposter syndrome, it doesn't go away, it shapeshifts. Tell me more about that. People think you get to a certain level of your career and all of a sudden, all is well, you're the confidence person who is just like, I got everything handled, I would do it all without a problem. There's a special skill for people who are successful. 
that is also a vice in that we are constantly looking for ways to be better. The reason why it's a vice is because we never rest in what we do or where we are. We're always like, so what's the next mountain for me to climb? That is in itself a form of imposter syndrome because you're constantly looking to prove something. So now you feel like you have to earn this spot that you now have. So sometimes imposter syndrome in the beginning, especially might be, I can't do this. Then it can be, I'm not ready for this. Then it can become, I need to continue to earn my greatness. So it is just this continuous battle with ourselves and with what we think is enough. Ambitious people have a hard time knowing when something is enough. We get something and we're already on to the next thing. Like, okay, well, you're like, wait a minute. You just did this really cool thing. You're making me think that one of the reasons that achieving something doesn't make imposter syndrome go away is it raises the bar for how good you have to be, right? So before, if I published a book, then I've accomplished something. And now it's like, if it's not a New York Times bestseller, I failed. Correct. So as we hit the bar each time, which is a good thing, what we don't realize is we might be setting ourselves up for failure a little bit because now we're just like, I've done it eight times before. Why can't I do it again? Imposter syndrome seems like a debilitating form of insecurity. If you make it into a syndrome, it is debilitating. Walk around with the chronic belief that you're a fraud, that you don't deserve any of your success, and it can hold you back. But those moments of insecurity don't have to be a disease or a disorder. They're everyday doubts about whether you're as good as other people think you are. So most people, when they think of this phenomenon, they tend to think that it's something that women only experience. And what recent work is actually trying to show is that, hey, this is actually prevalent across races, genders, and occupational categories. Almost 70% of people seem to have these thoughts, at least at some point in their lives. Basima Tufik is a management professor at MIT. When she started her career as a consultant, she felt like an imposter. And really the whole point of consulting is to sort of go into other people's companies and tell them, hey, I think I can help you do this better. But I always had this thought of like, well, but I haven't actually been there for that long. You're sort of sitting there being like, hey, I'm supposed to be an expert on this, but I feel like there's so much more that I want to learn. Basima has studied imposter thoughts among investment professionals, medical professionals, and military cadets. And she finds an outcome that's pretty much the opposite of what their imposter thoughts would have them believe. People with workplace imposter thoughts actually appear to report higher levels of mastery a couple months down the line. It's not necessarily that they're working harder, but they're working longer. Those imposter thoughts also motivate people to focus more on others. For example, when medical students have those insecurities, they make better eye contact with patients and listen more carefully to them. They don't think they have all the answers. People with more frequent imposter thoughts get rated as better collaborators, especially if they're men. And that might have to do with sort of the stereotypes that we attach to women. We sort of expect them to be helpful and cooperative. And so when they do these sorts of behaviors, they're not necessarily rewarded for it because people have different expectations coming in. There's also reason to believe that women are more likely to internalize their doubts and ruminate about them. Anxiety is still a part of this process. What typically is studied is something around fear of being found out. 
whether it might be useful to actually think about whether this correlation, this overlap is higher in women versus men. Maybe for women, when they have workplace imposter thoughts, they think other people think I'm smarter than I think I am. They have a lot more fear that other people are going to find out that they're not as smart. So interesting. Whereas men just wander around thinking, of course, I'm the smartest person in the room. I don't know why I questioned that for four seconds. Or maybe or maybe they're just like, I'm not going to tell anyone that happened. Maybe it's not worth talking about out loud. Maybe I'm just going to sort of leave that behind um, and forget that I had that moment. It makes me wonder if we should just throw away the term imposter syndrome and talk about self-doubt and insecurity. What differs from what I'm calling workplace imposter thoughts and self-doubt and insecurity is this other focus. Like, I really think the fact that there is these sort of discrepancy in expectations that you're sort of thinking other people are overestimating you is actually where the upsides come from. We have to be a lot more careful about the narrative that we're essentially attaching to this phenomenon. When we think about it as universally a bad thing, universally harmful, it sort of tells us, hey, when you have these thoughts, you kind of have a problem that you need to eliminate it. And what I'm trying to suggest with my work is that maybe actually it's about how to channel these thoughts productively. Too, it really depends on what you're insecure about. Insecurities are problematic if you just think you suck. But if if you're insecure about not being as good as other people think you are, that's where you find motivation. Hey, other people think you're really smart. Maybe smarter than you think you are. But maybe that's something actually that can be a driver, a motivator. So a lot of people who are successful deal with a lot of imposter syndrome, which actually feeds their success. I think we use it as fuel as opposed to fire that burns down whatever it is that you're creating. Yeah, that's where we can use it to our benefit. Levy ended up deciding to go to the TED conference as an attendee. When she emailed the team about getting a ticket, they invited her to speak a third time. She was about to decline a third time. But first, she phoned a friend. Now say, so, crazy. They want me to do this TED talk in three weeks. Everybody else has already had all this practice and a coach. This is crazy, right? I'm not going to be able to do it. And she says to me, everybody's not you. She's like, you've been practicing. The fact that you're on a stage every other day, that, that's your rehearsal, okay? You've been speaking for seven years. You got this. And if they didn't believe that you got this, they wouldn't ask you. And she hangs up on me. So with just a few weeks to prepare, Lovey said yes. Now it was time to turn her imposter syndrome into fuel. I was petrified. I was spooked because I was just like, this is the biggest talk of my life. If I bomb it, I'll never get another talk again. <laughs> if I bomb it, the people in this room will be like, oh God, no, I've seen Levy. She's terrible. You don't have to wait for imposter thoughts to go away. You can take three steps to harness them. The first is not to ignore your insecurities. It's to embrace them well in advance. For a few decades, psychologists have distinguished between strategic optimism and defensive pessimism. Think about the last time you were getting ready for a presentation. If you're a strategic optimist, you start to imagine yourself giving the talk and crushing it. That positive image of the future builds up your confidence and energizes you to prepare. If you're a defensive pessimist, you have a very different emotional experience. A few weeks ahead, you start to panic. You're gonna forget all your lines and ruin your reputation forever and ever and ever and ever. Yeah, I'm the pessimist. Yeah, 
I had never thought about myself as a pessimist in that way, but that's exactly it. What I think is funny about it is the crazy things you convince yourself might be true. We see this all the time in school, right, where the defensive pessimists, they wake up in the middle of the night having just had a nightmare that not only did they fail a test, they did so badly that they lost points on all their previous exams because <laughs> there's no way they could have earned those, right? Okay, you must know now that you, you're not going to bomb on stage. Yeah, like I do know I'm not going to bomb on stage because I can even go with the flow. I think what also made TED really tough that TED kind of asks of you to do is memorize almost verbatim. And I think that probably also added to my anxiety a bit because I don't memorize my talks. But here's the thing. Defensive pessimists perform just as well as strategic optimists. They harness their anxiety as motivation. Their insecurities propel them to prepare. Yes. We can use fear and imposter syndrome as motivators. If what we are afraid of is that we are not ready, then usually we'll double down on the work and where we will go out of our way to make sure we are prepared, that we know what we're talking about. We might rehearse the talk 15 times because that day I sure did. I was sitting there with the iPad on my hand for five hours. Just like I sat there and made sure that that talk was even better the night before. So I think the function of fear and all of this self-doubt is it should push us to practice our work more which will actually be a self-fulfilling prophecy to make us better at it. I've already thought of scenarios A, B, and C. We're not going to let them happen. So (laughs) we're going to try to mitigate risk. (laughs) For defensive pessimists, insecurity is helpful when there's time to prepare. But when it's time to perform, you want to feel secure. So what do you say to yourself to stabilize your confidence? I actually do say like, yo, you got this. You know your stuff. You've been at this for a while. I noticed something interesting there. Lovey didn't say, I got this. She said, you got this. Psychologists find that the way you talk to yourself matters. In a series of experiments, people gave better speeches and made better first impressions when they were randomly assigned to talk to themselves in the second person instead of the first person. Rather than saying, I got this, they said, Lovey, you got this. This is the second step for managing insecurities. In the moment, overcome your doubts by talking to yourself in the second person. It creates some distance from your insecurities. It feels like a boost of confidence from a friend or a coach. It leads you to feel less nervous and see stressful situations as a challenge rather than a threat. And this talk that I memorized three hours before I got on that stage flows out of my body like I'd done it 15,000 times. I ran off the stage and the stage manager stops me and turns me back around and says, I need you to go see the standing ovation you're getting. That talk transformed my life. And I almost didn't do it because I didn't think I was ready for that stage. In just a few years, Levy's talk accumulated over 6 million views. I'm a professional troublemaker. It is our job. It is our obligation, it is our duty to speak truth to power, to be the domino. Not just when it's difficult, especially when it's difficult. Thank you. I think you've made it. (laughs) Just maybe. Maybe you've made it. Thoughts? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't even sound remotely convincing. I I was like... 
and I still sound unconvinced. That's interesting, isn't it? It is. Why? And see, I think there it goes. That ambition, you always feel like there's more. Have I made it? Adam, do you think you've made it? Oh, definitely not. Just getting started. (laughs) Adam, how? (laughs) I am fascinated by this, actually. I'm actually really fascinated by this. And that's part of what keeps us going, isn't it? Oh, my God. Isn't it much more of a strange thing when you see it in someone else? Part of the reason why I feel like I haven't made it is that I still have to work really hard for everything, right? Like, it's not coming with ease yet. If I didn't do 45 podcasts, would I have hit the list? Each time I get something... The reason why I don't go, I can't believe it happened, is usually from like, oh my God, the plan actually worked. Not, oh, I can't believe I've earned it. So that's the difference. And I think that is where making it for a lot of us will look like something. Meanwhile, we all have these like ever moving goalposts. I think effortless success is a myth. If you succeed without real effort, it's a sign that you've set your goals too low. Yes, achieving hard things often does become easier over time, but anything worth accomplishing always takes effort. You just learn to make it look easier. Which brings us to a final technique for harnessing imposter thoughts. As you raise your expectations, don't forget to take pride in your achievements. My favorite approach is to reconnect with your younger self. Compare your current success to your past expectations. If you from five years ago or 10 years ago had known what you'd accomplish today, how proud would that version of you be? That's a really, really good strategy to think about that girl who at that point was working as a marketing coordinator at a nonprofit who was making $35,000 for the year. That girl would be wildly shocked at this girl, at this woman, like she'd be like, what? You did what? You sold how many copies of your book? You were on how many lists? You've been on whose show? Crazy. She would be shocked. But me, I'm like, man, I did it. Okay. (laughs) Next time on Work Life. It seemed like the sort of concept that had been made up in order to convince people that there was such a thing as emotional intelligence and that they might be deficient in it. And thus they had to alter their behavior to compensate for that deficiency. How emotional intelligence has been co-opted as a form of corporate control. Work Life is hosted by me, Adam Grant. The show is produced by Ted with Transmitter Media. Our team includes Colin Helms, Greta Cohn, Dan O'Donnell, Constanza Gallardo, Grace Rubenstein, Michelle Quint, Ban Ban Cheng, and Anna Phelan. This episode was produced by Joanne DeLuna. Our show is mixed by Rick Kwan. Our fact checker is Paul Durbin. Original music by Hans Dale Sue and Allison Layton Brown. Ad stories produced by Pineapple Street Studios. Special thanks to our sponsors, LinkedIn, Logitech, Morgan Stanley, SAP, and Verizon. Appreciation to the following researchers and their colleagues. Michael Kernis on self-esteem stability, Roy Baumeister, Brad Bushman, and Keith Campbell on bullies, Andrew Elliott on self-handicapping, Alice Eagley on underestimating women in male-dominated fields, 
Jennifer Crocker on the pursuit of external validation, Carol Dweck on performance versus mastery goals, Susan Nolan Hoeksema on rumination, Julie Norum on defensive pessimism, and Ethan Cross on self-talk. For more from Lovey, check out her podcast, Professional Troublemaker. And Taylor's stand-up scene is from her show, Quarter Life Crisis, courtesy of Netflix. It used to be this thing where it was like, ooh, don't be too pretty on stage. And I don't think that's a thing anymore. You have to be like non-threatening attractive, where you're not unlikable, but we still want to look at you. But you're not going to take my boyfriend. PRX. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.